What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Gig Boss Podcast, where musicians go to learn how to navigate the new music economy. My name's Adam Meckler. I'm your host, and it's my mission to get you the tools to have a thriving career in music. I was just stirring shit up on social media, just stirring shit up. People are mad at me for saying some things about music programs. Man, I want to clarify, I love music so much. I loved majoring in music in college. I definitely wish there were things that I had been taught. I wish that people had talked about the music industry. All the things we're doing on this podcast is like, I'm filling in these holes. I'm learning from people on this podcast, things that I wish I had learned when I was being prepared to be a professional musician. You know, Steve Cole just said in the last episode, craft is key, but if you're not equally addressing the industry, then you're doing a disservice to the people who are majoring in music. And I come from a place of somebody who majors in music. I know there's people that listen to this podcast who are like songwriters, people who have day jobs, there are lots of ways to create a meaningful music career. Lots of ways. And we're going to talk about nine of them today. I'm going to point out all these various different ways that people make meaningful careers in music. And I'm going to get up my notes here and get started. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name's Adam. I'm a multi-instrumentalist. I play trumpet primarily. People know me as a trumpet player. Uh, but I played, I started on guitar. It was my first instrument. I started writing songs in high school. I was a lead singer in a rock band or one of several people who sung and wrote, wrote songs for that band. I played guitar. I played flugelhorn in that band and I sang and I wrote, wrote a bunch of songs. Um, and now I'm like, I'm bringing that stuff back into my music. I'm combining singing and playing. I play bass. I play drums. I play piano. I, I compose a lot of music. I have this 18 piece big band called the Adam Eckler Orchestra and I write all the music for it. And we've released a bunch of albums and we've sold out theater shows and, and, uh, man, this, this thing has been a beautiful struggle. It's been difficult. I mean, like, let's say like it is, it's so hard to be a professional musician and I worked my buns off my whole career. Uh, I've missed friends, weddings. I've missed parties. I've missed family events because I'm always gigging or touring and uh, I'm in academia now uh, for the last, this, I'm in my fourth year of being the director of jazz studies at Michigan Technological University. I love working with my students. I love being there. I do miss being in the shit, being in it. I miss that. Uh, I, I get to tour. I leave and I go on tours and I play with people. I'm playing with some real heavy cats this weekend. Uh, Kenny Holman and Mike, Mike Nelson, who toured with Corey Wong, um, as the Hornheads, I played with the Hornheads for my last couple years in Minneapolis and played on a bunch of Corey Wong's albums through that. And, uh, recently, recently ish played on the Dave cause Corey Wong album, the golden hour. So I'm, I'm in it. I'm doing it. I'm still really working hard on my own stuff. I'm releasing my own music all the time. I'm, you know, music just, it feels like it just endlessly flows from me I, I that may sound like such an assholeish thing to say but i don't mean it that way it's like sincerely i could be in the studio all day long every day and never run out of things it's just like just it, it you know it's just there i don't know what it is it's always been this way you know i'm like tearing up a little bit talking about it my my math teacher as a kid like reached out to my mom and was like hey Adam is distracting the other students. This is when I was like in, I don't know, third grade or something. 
Adam's distracting all this because he hums during math tests. It's like I always like when I'm parallel parking, I start singing. It's just like music has been a way for me to organize my brain. The thoughts of my brain and I've been attracted to a lot of different kinds of music. I love singer songwriter music. I love music with lyrics, but I love like weird jazz, modern jazz music, free stuff, stuff that's chaotic, symphonies. I love all that stuff. I'm talking too much about myself. I'm sorry. There are lots of models <laughs> for being a modern musician. Let's get let's get into it. The coffee shop gig. The coffee shop gig is model number one. And I have a lot of friends that have done this where, um, this could be any job, but like coffee shops, particularly Starbucks, I think offers benefits. And so these can be attractive jobs for somebody who's looking for flexibility, um, maybe looking to have evenings, afternoons and evenings open because a lot of those coffee shops are open, you know, until early afternoon and then close. Um, you know, this is a model where you could have your afternoons open to go to rehearsals, to play gigs, to teach private lessons, if that's something you want to do. And it's a position you could hold to have regular income while you build up other parts. And this is going to be a theme of the episode. This is a position you could hold while you build up income from other sources. And when you get income rolling in from other sources to a point that's reliable, and there's some models for um, for treating your finances that are really helpful, like you know, you could funnel everything you make from music into a music account, a music specific, a business account, and you could pay yourself a salary. And uh, if you're working a job, what you could do is you, you could just let, you know, if you're able to pay all your bills with your job money, which is a big if, I know. But if you're able to pay all your bills with the money that you're holding from a job like a coffee shop gig, you could take all the money you're making from music or a majority of it and put it aside and wait for it to build up until you can reliably pay yourself a salary of a certain amount of money per month. And then the more you build up your music career, the more you build your income streams from various different things, the more you can pay yourself in a monthly salary. And then when months like December and January roll around, and if you're like a heavy gigging musician, you know that like gigs tend to slow down January, February. Um, there's a whole Christmas scene of like people that just totally crushed December. That wasn't necessarily me. Um, I played a lot of shows in December and I, I did start doing some Christmas things here and there. I got called to do some kind of higher profile things, but generally December was a kind of slower month for me in January, certainly in February. And then things would really start to pick up kind of mid February, March, April, May. And then I'm, for me, I'd be doing all kinds of other stuff we'll talk about, but the coffee shop gig, that's model number one, some reliable part-time job that you can get benefits from basically. Um, health insurance, regular income, lots of gigging and or income from online content sources. Yeah, that's what I had on my notes. Uh, the second model, model number two, is the full-time day gig that is not related to music. Okay, the full-time day gig that's not related to music. I would say that more than 50% of the people that I played professionally and regularly with in Minneapolis had day jobs that were not related to music. Is that right? Could that be right? Maybe 50%. I mean, like, a lot. A lot of the people that I was playing with professionally, and these are, like, heavy players that could really play. They were playing at a very high level, sometimes the highest level. They were working day gigs, like computer science, marketing, 
right? Um, I know a lot of people that majored in jazz studies and then got marketing gigs because people at these firms are looking for creative-minded people, you know, who's more creative than a, than a jazz musician or a musician in general. All right, so the full-time day gig, not related to music. Uh, real estate is another one that a lot of musician friends of mine do, and I think part of that is that there's some flexibility. And I, you know, like with anything, it's like nothing is that flexible, nothing is that passive um, in terms of income. And real estate is something that like, you know, you gotta be showing boatloads of houses um, to a whole bunch of people that maybe aren't really even serious about, I mean, it's like in the Zillow age, people are just wanting to look at houses. <laughs> so, you know, that's gonna be a lot of work, of course. But it is a little more flexible, I think, schedule-wise, and that allows you to maybe take some gigs, maybe go on short little tours that perhaps some other day gigs would not allow, okay? <clears throat> so that's number two. Number three is the private instructor and gigging musician. Now, this is the model that I sort of banked on early in my career. When I left college, I did not want to be a teacher. I did not want to teach at all. I just wanted to play. That's why I majored in performance. I was going to be a player. I was going to be a full-time player. I was going to be touring. Um, and certainly I did that. But when I first got started, getting connected in the scene, getting enough gigs to pay bills, that was difficult. And it took a long time. And so I started to supplement with teaching lessons because I was playing some shows here and there. I was meeting some people. And I think I've got a personality for that, for teaching. Um, I love people. I love being around people. I'm generally high energy. I, th I think I'm good about communicating how I do things. And that's something that I've really worked on now as well as being able to communicate how I do what I do musically. And if you have that skill, I mean, that's like, that's such a huge skill to be a musician who, who plays in a really deep and, and like experiences music in a really deep way, but can also, can also talk about it specifically and maybe even create specific guidelines for how to achieve what you've achieved or at least some steps along the way that could be taken. Um, so I did that. I was teaching. Eventually I got up to like a lot of private students. And so every afternoon I would teach private students. And during the daytime I would go to rehearsals with, with bands who were full of other people who were like, pros that didn't have day jobs so we would rehearse during the day 10 a.m 11 a.m and then people would leave and play gigs and uh and for me it was rehearsals during the day writing composing I was composing all this big band music and I remember my wife being like are you ever going to make money with this big band music you're writing um and now I run a jazz program at university so that's like right there I guess is where all that work went went towards I mean also everything I've done musically. I mean, it's been really cool and I'm continuing to do it, but, uh, I was writing all that music without any really idea of like how it would make me money. It's just like, just pure of heart. Just like, I'm just going to write and we'll see what happens. And, uh, I was doing that during the day. And then I, in the afternoons I was running to teach lessons and I eventually got to, I don't remember how many, 30 students maybe. And so every day in the afternoons uh, during the week, I'd be teaching you know, a handful of lessons between four and six, uh, between three and five or 6 PM, but between four and six students is what I meant to say. And, and then I would run off to a gig and I'd play a gig, 
you know, from like seven to 10 or from eight to 11 or nine to midnight or nine to one or nine to two. And, uh, that worked great. That worked great. And that was, that was a good model. I was very drained from private lesson teaching emotionally, musically. And so that part of it was hard. Uh, but I mean, like the private lesson thing is a, a great avenue. And I know a lot of professional musicians who go that route. People who have master's degrees, DMAs. Now, by the end of my time in Minneapolis, when I was really established as an artist and I was established as an educator, I was charging $75 an hour for lessons. When I first got started, I was charging a lot less and was getting a lot less. I was working through a school some of the time. I was working for myself some of the time. So it just kind of depended on um, on the situation, like how much I was making. But towards the end, when it was like people were seeking me out because of how I played and because of how I presented my music, then it was like, okay, if you want to study with me, I want you to be a serious musician who's really serious about wanting to do it. And then it's going to cost a little more money. And I, and I want to do hour long lessons. So I did hour long lessons one day a week near the end of my career. And this is like, this is kind of complicated, but I was at a university or a college, a for-profit college called McNally Smith college of music. That was a really cool, like modern, modern music school. And, uh, they suddenly closed. So like I was out all this income, I was adjunct faculty, but I was there three, three, four days a week. Um, so I was like, I had really grown up, uh, I had really built up my teaching there. And when that suddenly closed, I was like, all right, I'll teach one night a week. And then I got the gig playing with the Hornheads, and I was like, oh, we got session work every week. I was doing the first thing I did was for like a Michael Jackson thing for Sony. I was like, geez. And so I thought maybe I'll be all right. Maybe I'll be able to, and my wife had quit her job at, by that time. Cause I was working like my, my performance career was really humming and my, my freelance education career was really humming. And I had the job at McNally Smith where I was kind of part-time, but it was like a nice steady chunk of income. And I was also at McPhail Mac, center for music <clears throat> doing some jazz combos and jazz related stuff, uh, that I had kind of built up over there over the course of five or six years. And that, you know, so, so the, so the, the model of being a private instructor and then having my afternoons, having my evenings for gigs and my daytimes for rehearsals that worked for a, for a short time. And it was a great stepping stone. And it actually, it was a great way to like hone my teaching because I worked with a lot of beginners and working with beginners as particularly as a, a trumpet player, uh, trumpet is just hard. It's just hard. And so I got really good at like communicating how I do what I do. And that's a skill now that I've taken <clears throat> and I've applied it to being an academic uh, at the university level, but also, but also like when I'm on stage and I'm talking about the music I'm making, especially since a lot of the music I make is creative music, um, being, be, being able to talk about what you do, as I said earlier, just helps, it's, it helps the audience come along with you. They know what to listen for. It's just better. Um, okay. So the private instructor slash gigging musician. Cool. The, la the next one I talked about a little bit, the academic, all right? The academic is somebody who's like a university professor and I'm going to try not to throw any shade because I was just stirring stuff up on social media, making people mad about what I was saying about music majors versus not music majors. Um, I just think it's so interesting that there's so much involvement in, in the program that I have here, um, which is a non-major program and that a lot of schools with majors are really struggling to, to fill bands and uh, to 
to get students in the door. Um, and I think there's a lot of reasons for that. There's a lot of things. This could be a whole other podcast episode. It's like we could talk about what universities could be doing. And I know a lot of them are looking that in the face and they're, and they're taking a, they're taking a hard look at their numbers and enrollment and they're, they're working on modernizing their thing. And I think that's great. I think that's awesome. I know a lot of people are working hard on that. Um, I don't mean to throw any shade, but the academic is a model and a lot of musicians have referred to this model as the modern day record deal, right? (laughs) So record labels aren't typically giving out major record deals for like creative artists anymore. And so if you're somebody who like plays creative music, uh, but there are also positions for people who are producers, for people who deal with Ableton and, and, and uh, who are film composers. There's like lots of avenues to be an academic now. And a lot of programs, as I said, are modernizing. So a lot of the stuff is now starting to be added. There's like hip hop programs, Toki Wright, who I collaborated with on my Magnificent Madness album. Uh, he's a hip hop artist who now runs like, does entrepreneurship, entrepreneurship stuff at uh, Berkeley College of Music. But he ran the first fully accredited hip hop program in the United States at McNally Smith College where I was, which is how we knew each other. Um, but the academic is a really good option. If you're somebody who can communicate about your music, if you have a certain terminal degree, like a lot of institutions require a terminal degree. Some don't, depends on the institution. Um, I have a master's degree, not a doctorate. So like my 10 years of being just like a full-time performer, player, uh, freelance educator, that kind of counted as my DMA, uh, which is a doctor of musical arts for those of you that don't know what DMA means. (laughs) And that's fine. You don't have to know what that means. Um, the academic, the academic. Uh, so if you're in that route, if you're in those, I mean, there's a lot of cool things about being an academic. One is like, you know, you have regular income, you have a little bit of flexibility. Usually programs want you to be making a national name for yourself, like tenure track programs. I'm in a tenure track program. They want you to be making a national name for yourself as an artist. So that means that I'm going to have to go out and play. I'm going to have to really do new albums. And that also means that they'll help, help you fund some of that stuff. So like Michigan tech, um, has this grant program that I applied for. So I just applied for this grant and I have a new record coming out. Um, it's going to be a while. I have a trio record coming out before that and a couple singles, but, um, but the, the grant thing is like, there's grant funds available. There's funds available for you to do creative projects, uh, and having an institution behind you when you apply for grants by like, um, you know, Jerome foundation, American composers forum or things like that. There's tons of other grants too. Um, there's like jazz road grant. There's, uh, there's, there's, uh, there's all kinds of grants of, of being able to do retreats and like go to a place and just write music the whole time you're there, regardless of the genre. So there's lots of, and I, and what I was going to say is that if you have an institution's name sort of behind you, um, you get that, you get that sort of validation, that, uh, external validation, which is the same thing I said about having a record label like an indie record label that's kind of notable uh behind your music that's one of the benefits of of having an indie record label too so the academic that's one two three the academic was four so we're going to five the fifth model of being a modern musician is to be the full-time player a full-time player um that's what that's what i imagined i would be when i graduated and i sort of did that but like I said, I started teaching almost right away. And 
most most people who are man i don't know how to you know most people who are full-time players i don't know if this is even totally accurate it's like they're they're also doing other stuff like they're doing other things they're they're doing other creative projects maybe that are related to film or related to marketing or or they're teaching a little bit here and there on the side because there's so much demand because they're a full-time player and they're in front of audiences all the time and people are like hey can i study with you um there's avenues for full-time artists to do that when you get to like the real huge level real famous uh being a really really huge name it's like you probably do a little less teaching but i think it's you know depending on the genre that you're in um in the creative field fields like jazz and classical music modern instrumental music improvised music there's like a tradition of mentorship there's a tradition of mentorship so people still teach even when they get to be the biggest name in their field um and that's one of the cool things about like the today the, the internet like a lot of these people who were inaccessible to us are now just right there at our fingertips we could send a message a dm just be like hey do you want to you know for me it's like hey do you want to come on the podcast do you want to chat i mean this is like a way for me to talk to my heroes i'm going to be talking to kwang vu uh amazing trumpet player who toured with pat Metheny and and uh who's played with david bowie I listened to that Pat Metheny record, The Way Up, a million times in 2004. And Kwong Vu is the, the trumpet player on it. And then I listened to his album, Leaps of Faith, about a billion times uh, back in the early 2000s. And have taught since taught my students some of his arrangements. Uh, so I'm really pumped to talk to him. Uh, but so, so that's it. It's like, for me, it's like, hey, I can DM these people. They're right here at, at my fingertips. So full-time players are accessible now, today, more than ever. Uh, definitely the toughest road if you're just going to play if you're only going to play it's going to mean that you're going to be on the road a lot it's going to mean that you're likely you're probably going to have to be a really likable person and an incredible musician and super lucky uh unless you become like uber famous somehow you know and that that's possible I mean, it's possible in the modern age, maybe now more than ever in terms of the gatekeeping. It's like you can go on TikTok and you can get go viral and your single can can just totally explode and then you can get millions of plays on Spotify and you can get major record labels reaching out to you because of that, which is awesome. And more power to anybody that's experiencing that. But there are also the models of like, what, like Brandon Commodore, who was on the show recently, who tours as the drummer for Stokely and uh, musical music director for Stokely and uh, the drummer for Mint Condition and Sounds of Blackness. I mean, he's a full-time player. And then, he, and then he does, like I said about full-time players, he also has a studio and he produces people's stuff. I mean, it's like he loves that. I mean, that's what he does. He does, he does music full-time. Um, and that, that's awesome. I love that. So the full-time player, going to be touring all the time. Going to be living on the road. I got another buddy who just basically lives on the road. He's been off. He he hasn't paid rent in two years. <laughs> he sent me a text the other day. I haven't paid rent in two years. Because I said, do you want to come on the podcast and talk about how you just like, how you live? Like, how do you do this? How are you doing this? And he's, he's on the road all the time or he's in a different country or he's just traveling. Um, he's really inspiring. He's an awesome, awesome bass player. Uh, Andrew Foreman. For those of you who know Andrew, he was the bass player in Nookie Jones, the Neil Soul band that I helped found uh, back in the day. That is now... <laughs> it's now defunct 
I don't even want to say it because I, I don't want it to be true. But uh, all right, the full time player. Now the full time content creator is the sixth model. One, two, three, four, five. I should have put numbers by these things. The sixth model is the full time content creator. Um, this one is also, I think, a really tough road. Like being a full time performer it's going to mean that you're constantly creating it's going to mean that you have to have a really amazing tech setup most likely certainly things can be done on an iphone um but most of these really heavy content creators that have huge followings it's like they have pretty sweet tech setups and so you're gonna to have to be some you're gonna have some savviness with that and you're gonna to have to be able to tell a story and be able to to bring value to anyone who's watching your videos um I just talked to Dave Chisholm uh, for the podcast, and he is this incredible graphic novelist and musician, and he has some really great tips for exactly what is needed, what you should do to be able to kind of break through the the noise of social media and build a following. But being a full-time content creator means that you're likely – you're likely amassing huge following and you are also figuring out, you know, you're creating a funnel, essentially. You're figuring out how to get these people in the funnel, which is like, you know, intrigue. I don't know what they, what the, there's different levels of the funnel. This is like, you can look this up. This is a, it's a business thing. It's like, you want to get people into your funnel. And then as they get lower down into the funnel, they get closer to like purchasing something from you. So like you, you get them to trust and then you, uh, you know, you give them value and then eventually, hopefully they buy your merch or whatever. Um, and so a lot of people that are content creators on YouTube, and, and this is, this is true of, of YouTube is that the majority of people who make their livings on YouTube, they make more money from merch sales than they do from Google ad or like YouTube ads, um, which is Google because Google owns YouTube. So when you do your like Google payments or whatever, I monetize my YouTube channel and I make, you know, between 50 and 150 bucks a month, depending on the time of year. And I have not created regular content for quite some time, but when I was creating regular content, it was like, it was really growing fast. Um, and I just, I just got over 5,000 subscribers. So I'm, I'm also like, I'm like pilot testing all these ideas that I'm hearing about and learning about it's like i want to know like how do you build how do you build a following how do you monetize those people how like you know how do you it's not it's like monetizing those people sounds so it's uh impersonal like we're doing this because we love it and we're and we're we're giving value of, of something that we love that that our heart is in and so we have to make money from it so we can keep doing it and so that's essentially where i'm at all the time i'm like how do i how do I find, I've said this so many times on the podcast, how do I find the intersection between what I love to do and what people want to hear and see? That's the intersection I'm trying to find. And that's going to be the key to not getting burnt out if you're a content creator. Uh, I know now that Instagram is paying people to make reels. So if you have a huge reels uh, view, viewership, that's an option. Um, so you could you could work on building something like that up. Um, you know, on the, on the podcast, uh, Ian... Allison, he said, make the bug a feature, right? That's the name of the episode. Make the bug a feature, which is like, find the thing in you that, that you're almost embarrassed to share and lean into it because people love to see themselves in you. 
and we're generally afraid to to show our real selves. Uh, be more yourself. Uh, Grace Kelly said said the same thing. I'm learning so much on this podcast, you see. Uh, so full-time content creator, it's a tough road. A select few are going to do it. Merch sales make more money than YouTube ad revenue. Instagram is now offering money for reels and TikTok has a creator fund. But the creator fund, even though more and more creators are joining the creator fund, so these are people that have larger reach on TikTok, you get, you get put into the creator fund. It's a set amount of money the creator fund and then it gets dispersed to the creators so even though more creators are joining and more people are joining tiktok and more people are seeing the creations tiktok is not paying the creators more money because of that it's just a set amount of money that gets divvied uh so that's kind of bullshit and i just learned that with my talk with dave which will come out in the next couple of weeks uh so you'll hear us talk about that a little more in depth but that's that's TikTok um, as an option for, for making money. Some people do really well with driving traffic to streaming sites, with building up uh, YouTube, with building up playlisting on Spotify and other platforms, uh, with using Google uh, Google ads, Facebook ads, uh, Instagram ads to drive traffic to streaming sites, and then they make their money off streaming sites. I think generally speaking, if you're looking at that as a way to like make tons of money, you're probably doing it wrong. It's really more about building up an audience over time, building up a large audience over time that maybe will eventually buy tickets to your next show or will eventually buy your next merch uh, that you offer. That's really, that's really the big, the big thing is you want to get people to buy merch. So you got to offer cool stuff and you got to have cool music. So it's, those are all prerequisites. All right. So the seventh, the seventh avenue is to be the online coach. Now this. I have a little bit of a bad taste in my mouth because I just feel like I'm getting fed so much BS from so many online, quote unquote online coaches. I just this there's this music ad that keeps popping up in my feed. This one dude who has this coaching program and he says the three worst ways to grow your music business. He said number one, touring. And I went, hold on, your number one worst way for growing a fan base is touring is getting out in front of audiences all over the United States and the world. Yeah, that's not the worst way. It's hard, and you're going to have a couple of tours where you're maybe not making a ton of money, but if you're consistently visiting each market and you're using tools like Bands in Town, it's a great tool. If you're using tools like that, and by the way, they don't pay me to market anything. I don't make any money from this. Uh, Not yet. I hope someday, maybe. Bands in Town, like a tool like Bands in Town, it's like use that, go to the market regularly, figure out where you're, I mean, so you you can use chart metric, you can use Spotify analytics, you can see where people are listening from. Go to those markets. If you have a huge listenership, pay for some marketing, you know, try to get some people out and then build over time. It's like touring is totally a viable way. So there's a lot of tools. And I mean that in the negative sense who are trying to sell you a coaching program and they are people who really probably don't know what they're talking about. And so you really want to be wary of, you know, a lot of times these will be like five grand, six grand, seven grand. I've gone down the rabbit hole on some of these things. It's not cheap. And then they'll, and they'll promise you success. It's like anytime you hear someone promise you success, it's like run the other way. Because come on, this is hard. 
It's going to be a grind. It's going to be hard. The, you know, the, the ones that there are definitely good ones. You know, we've got to deal with Ari's Take Academy. Ari's doing great stuff. He's really doing practical things that you can learn that will advance your career in his online school, Ari's Take Academy. There are some good ones. Ari's kind of a controversial figure too. I know people that 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 talk shit. It's like I get it, I get it. But the dudes out there, he's 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 got stuff that's really potent for today's musicians, DIY musicians, people who are really trying to make it. Anyways, the full time content creator, tough road. The online coach, I got a bad taste in my mouth about it. I don't like it. Um, but is this the new? private lessons platform i mean it's like i've been teaching private lessons forever i don't do that as much anymore but people still reach out to me and ask me to to teach them remotely and you know that's is 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 an online coaching program kind of the same thing like yes as long as you're qualified i guess that's great Um, so that is an option and you can also create you can like pre-create uh, videos that are a series of videos that somebody could purchase and then watch those videos. And then maybe this is what like Chris Johnson did this. He did like a series of videos on how to do a certain thing and then offered like one-on-one coaching as a part of that package. And it would be like two, two one-on-one coachings. Like you get all these videos and then you get two one-on-one coachings. Um, I think that's a cool model. And especially for somebody like Chris, who's like complete and total badass. I had him in with my students he was on the podcast chris johnson uh it, it starts with count, touring with count basie but it's like he talks about that a little bit he, he really talks a lot about how he built his music business it's really a cool talk so i'd encourage you to check that one out too but you know chris is a complete and total badass he he blew my students minds i watched him work with his tech via zoom i mean he, he was incredible uh and so somebody like that it's like yes buy that do that of course i would i would send my students there i would send my friends there uh, but there are so many online coaches that are that are full of crap okay there you go so the online coach number eight uh, and the last two are kind of the last two are kind of a, a bit more general i guess number eight is the composer um and so i'm talking like a, a classical composer a film composer tv composer um, somebody who's just purely identifies as a composer doesn't teach doesn't play gigs really and there are some people like this um plenty of people like this and what they do is they are really savvy with writing grants and they're really savvy with getting commissions and if you can find a way i was just talking with one of my colleagues about this she has a friend who who basically said i'm going to double my commission fee you know every couple of years and that's how i'm going to eventually make a living doing this and she's been able to do that she's been successful doing that and and i've certainly followed that model as well i get commissioned to write big band music a lot and i love doing that uh and i'll you know over time i started i think the first commission i did was like i asked for 500 bucks and that's like nothing i charge you know thousands of dollars now between 3500 and 5000 depending on the scope of the project and there are composers that that charge much more than i do um and maybe once i win that grammy I can charge a little more, but commissions are a way. It's like you can, schools will commission you. There are, there are like uh, public uh, community orchestras, uh, nonprofit orchestras, institutions, um, all kinds of people that commission 
artists. Sometimes you can apply for those commissions. Um, but a lot of times, like if you're making a name for yourself as an artist, as a composer by like releasing music, by doing features, maybe even social media strategies. I don't know what those would be really for composers. I'm, I'm now kind of fascinated to try and think of those, what that would look like, uh, for a classical composer. But, but, uh, I'm sure there's a niche for that on all these platforms. My kids yelling in the background, sorry. And you can, you know, you can get commissions. You, this can be a viable form of, of income and a viable career. So just being a purely a composer, that's, that's model number eight. And then model number nine is the sync artist. And I just talked with Graham Barton on the show. Uh, he's the founder of sync beast and he does music for sync full time. And now he has launched a coaching program where he helps artists kind of prepare their music for sync, uh, connects them to people who, who do that, uh, databases, companies. So, that is another avenue and and that's a tough road as well and i think if you're gonna really get into sync and try to do it full time it's like you have to be in the lab creating music all the time really honing cutting your teeth and listening to ads and studying and then trying to recreate as exercises some of what you hear but then also just making making tons and tons and tons and tons and tons and tons of tracks and getting them and building relationships with companies that that license music. Um, that's definitely an avenue you can do, especially if you're somebody who's a savvy producer. You can mix, you can master. That's huge. And you're a musician, a multi-instrumentalist, a singer maybe. It's like if you can do all of it yourself and then occasionally you know hire someone to play drums, occasionally hire someone to play whatever horns you don't play or whatever. I get hired to play trumpet on some things like that pretty often. And I've got my little home studio here that I'm in right now, which is really not flattering. It's a mess. So I'm not going to show it to you, <laughs> but, uh, but I've got a little setup here that I use and, and it's great. I record for people all over the world and that, and so people, those are people who are sync artists who only make music for sync or like sync licensing agencies, they'll reach out to me and go, we need horns on this thing. Could you write it? Could you play it? And I'm like, yeah, sure. Um, so that's model number nine. That's the final model. Now I'm going to tell you a little bit more about how I've pieced my thing together. And it's a combination of kind of all of it. I've had music licensed. I've toured all over the world with a ton of different bands. And that's really, I love doing that. I love that. I love traveling. I love touring. I love playing for people. I love being on stage. That's really, I think, it, it, when we get down to the crux of it, that's really where my heart is. And I have taught private lessons. I have been in academia now. Um, I've worked day gigs. I worked nights at UPS when I first moved to Minneapolis. That's the part that I left out. I worked nights at UPS. You know, some some people they come from money. They have a spouse who makes a ton of money. That was never my situation. My wife's also a musician, amazing musician. And so it's always been, Hey, how can we, I mean, at first it was just like, let's just make music. But then it was like, Hey, how can we actually survive and make money and maybe have a family? Um, which, which is what we're doing now. So I've done all of those things. I continue to do all those things. I make all my own music. I make tracks for myself in my own room. I also hire tons of musicians. I, I compose music. I get commissioned to do music. I write grants. Um, so that's the model. It's like, that's not even a model. That's just like, grab it where you can get it. Um, 
but a lot of these opportunities just happened because I was out playing music in front of people. I was putting on great shows. I was writing great music, music that I loved and that started to resonate with people. And so we started packing clubs and we started selling out the, you know, we sold out. Yeah, it wasn't quite sold out. It was very close. Uh, Parkway Theater in 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 uh, South Minneapolis for our album release show for which became that's the uh, that's the show that became live in Minneapolis. So if you if you've seen that, like I flew in artists from Jamaica and from Boston, and I had a four piece choir plus my big band. I mean, it was like epic. A lights guy, a sound guy, videographer, epic. It was so much work, and I was so stressed leading up to it. Now that I think about it, I was so stressed leading up to it. When you get on the stage, it's like, it's like it melts away. So for me, you know, after I finished that show, I remember thinking, man, I got to find somebody to help me with this stuff. How can I find, I need a manager. I need somebody. <laughs> uh, and then it was like, I got this job at Michigan Tech and, and left. <laughs> what, what have I done? Uh, no, I, I mean, I love it here and it's change is good. Change is good. It's been a great, this has been a great thing. And I've made so much great music here and I've been able to really, what I've wanted to do for a long time was have the space to explore singing and writing songs again, writing songs with lyrics. I always loved that. I wrote poetry my whole life. I had po- poems published in like poetry.com and stuff. Please don't look them up. Ugh. I was like in high school. But I always, I was hopeless romantic, always. And I just love, I love music. I love, I still, like I said, it's like, it's just such a deep part of who I am as a human. Uh, that it's like, it's hard to see where music starts and where I where where music ends and I begin it's like we're so intertwined it's just like yeah omnipresent I'm looking over at my jazz bass over there I gotta play that a little bit more the curse of the multi-instrumentalist it's really hard to be good at everything trumpet trumpet requires my time every day requires time you just can't you can't play it at a high level if you're if you're not if you're not really, really plugging away at it. It's probably the case with everything, but it's slightly more noticeable with the trumpet um, for whatever it's worth. It doesn't matter, whatever. Woe is me, who cares? Thank you for listening. Listen, if you're a gigging musician, we've got an app called Gig Boss. We've been working on it for years, for years. And it was based on the insanity of my career because what I was doing was I was leading my own bands and I was freelancing in dozens of other bands and I was teaching and I was doing all kinds of other stuff and then we started having kids and it was like I'd be looking through email chains looking for the details of a gig when I'm like running out the door because I just had the kids and I was just changing a diaper and I was passing the kids off to my wife when she got home and and then running off to my gig and I can't even find the address I don't know where we're where we're at it's like we invent we created this so that there was a place you could go 
that has the details to your gig right there that can sync with your Google Calendar, that you can click on the address, you can click on phone numbers to, to text people, you can track your finances. We're, we're building out a whole bunch more advanced financial tracking, mileage tracking, merch sales, all that stuff. We're building that out starting in October. So it's totally free. It's on iOS and Android. I would love for you to try it. I would love for you to download it. We, we're talking about maybe making it free for life for anybody that downloads it before we have a subscription model available. Once we get like all of the robust financial tracking stuff filled out, uh, built out, I should say, we plan to eventually put that part of the app behind a paywall where you have to pay some kind of subscription. Okay. But for now it's like the stuff that's there now will always be free and you can use it to organize your career. You can use it to, to look at your past gigs, see how much you made, see what the date was, see what the address was. If you need to calculate mileage at the end of the year, one of the things I always ran into was like, what the heck did I make on that gig? What did I make? Who did I pay? Who? Do, I mean, it's like, who do I owe a 1099 to? I mean, there was like so much of that because who has time to track all this stuff? It's like, I was just always in work mode. I'm still am. And so I still use it. I use it for everything I get. This gig that I have this weekend with the Hornheads guys, I have it in Gig Boss because at the end of the year, I want to I want to know how much did I make on that? Where was it? How far did I drive? All that stuff. I want to be able to know all that stuff at the click of a button. And uh, it's just going to keep getting better. It's going to keep getting better. Our goal is to become the number one DIY self-management platform for musicians. We're on our way. It's on iOS and Android. Download it. Check it out. I'd really appreciate any feedback. You can you can email me at adam at gigbossapp.com. Adam at gigbossapp.com. You can send me an email. I should be like, hey man, it'd be awesome if we had XYZ in this app. I could see myself using it if it had blank, 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 blank. Or I love it. Please add this and this. Uh, any words of encouragement would be greatly appreciated. <laughs> We've been grinding hard and spending our own money. And I mean, we did raise some money to, to build this, to build the app. Um, but man, it's like, it's taken so much of our time and so much of our money and, and we haven't made anything. We haven't made a cent. Uh, we want to eventually, hopefully make a little bit of money. Um, but really the whole thing was just to, to create something that's helpful for musicians because we know the struggle. We're living it still. All right. That's it. Nine ways, nine ways to create a career in music, a meaningful career in music, nine models of being a modern musician. I don't know what I'm going to call the episode yet, so I'm saying both just to cover all my bases. Thanks for listening. I appreciate you very much. I can see that more people are finding the show. We've got a Facebook group called Gig Boss Podcast where we just discuss all this stuff. Iron sharpens iron. You know what I mean? Get in there and ask a question. There's a bunch of people that are asking questions, commenting, and trying to help each other out. The whole thing is just to help each other out. I just want to help people out. My students aren't music majors. So one of, the, one of the things I said when I got to Michigan Tech, I was like, man, it's too bad I can't tell everybody everything I know about how to make a career in music because this is like what I do. But these students are going to be engineers, which is awesome, and I love that. And they're, they're doing music because they love it, and we're having a blast, and I really do love working with them. Uh, but this is an outlet for me. The Gig Boss Podcast group, the Gig Boss Podcast, is an outlet for me to, give, to tell you what I know, what I've learned, because uh, I want to be able to do that. All right? Much love. Good luck on your journey. Thanks for listening.